0: The sexual assault case involving five members of Canada's 2018 World Junior Hockey team took a major step forward on Monday. Not only did we have a first court appearance in the morning, it was very brief. There was also a press conference, which was quite lengthy by London police. At that press conference, Police Chief Tai Trung apologized to the woman at the center of the case for how long it took to reach this point. Now, the investigation into the alleged incident in 2018 was initially closed without charges. The following year it was reopened when police found new evidence in 2022. So after the events of yesterday, what happens next? Uh, Nick Cake is a defense lawyer with Cake Criminal Defense. He's a, uh, also a former Crown Attorney and joins us now. Nick, I appreciate the time. Morning, Devin. Nice to talk to you. So lawyers for all five players appeared via video yesterday. The case was put over until the end of April. What happens between now and then?
1: Well, I'd imagine that what's going to happen between now and then is the defence lawyers are going to start gathering the disclosure. So anytime that any person is charged with an offence, the disclosure is what the police have gathered during their investigation. So all of the statements, videos, cell phone downloads, surveillance, um, police notes, anything that goes into the investigation, the police then give to the Crown Attorney. The Crown Attorney then vets all of it and distributes it to the defense. They distribute the material that is either relevant or likely relevant. So over the next coming weeks, the defense will be gathering that material and you know going over everything with a fine tooth comb, in order to know what they're up against and then start taking instructions from their client. You know, this is what person A says. What do you say about that? Getting their client's version of events and then drafting a plan to move the file forward in that fashion.
0: What sort of timeline is there to set a trial? It has to be done within six months of charges being laid, right? Yes, the ball has to be rolling and rolling quite quickly within six months. But, I mean, it
1: depends how fast the Crown Attorney is able to produce that disclosure and get it disclosed uh, to the to the defense team. So there is that new six-month time limit, but a defense lawyer can only work with what they're given and if you're living in an informational vacuum because the Crown cannot produce disclosure in a timely fashion then that six months may turn to eight or or nine. Six months only works if the system is perfect, and the system's far from perfect.
0: No, it's quite backed up. I mean, we've seen, uh, again, we're putting the cart a bit before the horse, but this may not reach trial if it goes to trial for two years, which is uh, quite a period of time, but it kind of speaks to just how backed up the courts are right now.
1: Well, certainly it does, Devin. I mean, again, that new directive for getting everything set for trial in six months is one thing. But we still live under the, the Jordan case, that case that came out uh, back in the late 2010s that speaks about time to trial generally in the Ontario Court of Justice being 18 months and generally in the Superior Court of Justice being 30 months. I would imagine, of course, without knowing anything about this case other than what's been reported in the media, that this case will go to the Superior Court So my assumption or my speculation would be that this will take approximately 30 months to get to trial.
0: Because of the timing, uh, if this does go to trial, would you expect the five players to be tried together?
1: Well, they are. They're they're co-accused, Evan. So they will be tried together at this point in time unless the defense or the crown brings an application for severance. I don't see the Crown doing that in this case because one of the benefits of running a joint trial is that your complainant only has to testify once. If they're separate trials, that complainant would have to testify at each trial. And of course, that would be a traumatic experience for that person. But also the fear then is that there may be inconsistent statements between trial one or trial two. So it's likely that the Crown will keep it as one trial and it will be up to the defense to determine whether or not it's in the best interest of a particular client. Of course, each individual charged has a lawyer and that lawyer's responsibility is to their client and their client alone. So one individual may decide, I wanna take a run at having a trial by myself because there may be other facts that may cloud or influence a jury that don't pertain to me, but I don't want to get painted in the same brush. Again, just speculating.
0: How have the courts, uh, the law, maybe changed over the years when it comes to sexual assault cases? Uh, I saw you were commenting about the Gian case a couple of years ago, and maybe that was a bit of a turning point. Uh, We were talking about disclosure earlier, but um, in particular, maybe information the defense might uh, uh, have as well.
1: Certainly. I think that Gomeshi was a catalyst for a change in the law. That was a sexual assault trial of a, of a famous Canadian individual that played out in the media. Ultimately, the right result occurred, and, and he was acquitted because that's how the system works. Now, legislature, parliament, then worked to change the law and, in my opinion, have made it more difficult on accused individuals... To defend themselves, so there are new rules to the game now. For example, perhaps you know, one of the defenses put forward may be something that we call an honest yet mistaken belief, which means, essentially, that, hey, I thought I could do this because of what had happened previous, what was said, and what I was experiencing at the time. But some of those things, like what happened previous, or maybe what was said, may be in a text message. And so now, what the rules require us to do is bring an application to seek whether or not that information is admissible at trial, whether or not it can be used on cross-examination. Prior to the new regime, that necessarily didn't have to happen. But now, under the new regime, It's incumbent upon the defense to swear affidavits and provide information to the crown and to the court as to why they want to use that information, what the information is, what's the purpose of it and why they think it would be relevant. Essentially the game has changed to force an accused individual to testify because once you swear an affidavit in court, then you're cross-examinable on that. Now a defendant in any other case, has the right to remain silent. You don't have to testify at your trial. But if you want to further something in a sexual assault case to further your defense, you may have to testify and then be subject to cross-examination, which flies in the face, one would say, of some of the principles of our charter, although some appellate courts don't necessarily agree with my view. But that's just one example of how sexual assault cases are now defended post-Gameshi and, f- frankly, the, the difficult nature of them.
0: It really speaks to how complex this might be and uh, why it might take a little bit longer than uh, people are hoping for some sort of a resolution here. Uh, Nick, we'll follow closely and will we'll, I'm sure we'll call on you again. As always, I appreciate your time and your perspective. No problem, Devin. You take care, sir. That's Nick Cake, a defense lawyer with Cake Criminal Defense. We need to pause. When we return, we'll have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on 980 CFPL.